0: Good morning. Good morning. Good to see you. Thank you, Art. So what God wants to speak to us about today is a very important matter, and it's how we think about ourselves. Romans 12, 1 and 2 say, not being conformed to the patterns of this world, the thinking or the behavior patterns, but allow God to change us by changing the way we think. That's in general, but today it's changing the way we think about ourselves. For two weeks, we had this on the bulletin insert. This is introduction and review. For two weeks, we had this as a bulletin insert for application to the message. This is a situation or a matter in which you want to see God move, but it just seems impossible. I just want to mention a trap to avoid in this. Many of you have been taking advantage of this, at least I've heard from a number of you that you have listed situations, impossible situations, on that, situ- on that insert and you're now praying for God to move or to resolve that situation. Well, here's, the, here's the trap to avoid. Don't be discouraged if it didn't happen yesterday. My guess is the situation developed over a long period of time. And so just practically speaking, it's not going to resolve in a very quick period of time. But even beyond that, it takes God some time to orchestrate the answer to your prayer. We're going to be reading Daniel in the Bible Bible read, and you'll see that how that works when we pray. There's spiritual warfare To try and frustrate and thwart and stop that prayer from getting to us. And the Bible implies that we need to keep on praying so that answer can get through. So if you're getting discouraged, like, man, Pastor, I've already prayed for two days for that thing. And it didn't happen. Don't get discouraged. We like it right now. I know. Me too. I wish the situation I'm praying for would resolve right now. But it hasn't. But listen to the words of Jesus on this matter. One day Jesus told his disciples a story to show that they should always pray and never give up. Persistence, perseverance. We'd rather, that's not the case. We're we're not really given the persistence and perseverance. Am I right? We want it now. But persistence and perseverance, never giving up is the key to answered prayer. It's the key to seeing God move mightily. It's the key to seeing God move in or resolve the situation that you have on your paper. This Luke 18.1 is actually the story of the unjust judge and the unrelenting widow who would not let the judge alone, even though he said he wasn't going to grant her, her, her case or her desire, she kept coming, she kept coming, she kept coming, persisting, persevering. And in the end, you know the story the widow won. The judge relented. She got what she wanted. It's a picture of praying. Men ought, or people, God's people ought always to pray and never give up. Here's something important to learn, and then we'll move on. Once you've heard from the Holy Spirit to pray on a matter, which we're trusting we heard from him to put something down on that paper, once you hear from the Holy Spirit to pray about a matter, pray it through, either until it happens or until God releases you. And you'll know both of those things. Okay? Don't get discouraged because it hasn't already happened. Don't give up, don't give in, and above all, resist discouragement. There's a huge strategy of Satan on the church in recent times to try and discourage God's people because Satan sees. He, ne- he never knows for sure what God's going to do. He has to guess. He's guessing and he's seeing a huge move of God setting up on the earth. So he's released a strategy to try and discourage God's people. And that's you and that's me. We need to be on our guard. Above all, resist discouragement. Go to the Word. Go to your brothers and sisters. That's why we had that little activity throughout this week. We need to encourage one another because Satan's trying to discourage us. Okay, moving on. Last week was Ephesians 4, 1 through 6, and the title was Now That You Know. This will be our text again. Last week we only covered verse 1. We did an in-depth exegesis of verse 1. We broke it down into words and phrases. The main point last week with which God challenged us is this. Now that we know our spiritual position in Christ, all that we are in Christ, the high calling to which we have been called in Christ, then as followers of Jesus, start living lives worthy of that calling. There's no more time for complacency, no more time for indifference. It's time to ramp it up. Live worthy of our calling was the challenge last week. Live lives that genuinely reflect who you are in Christ so that people don't have to guess whether you're a Christian or not. That was last week. Verse 1. We'll continue this passage this week. Verse 2. Marie, will you come and read for us? You read last week. Who did I ask to read this week? Dawn, and you're over there and Ready? Everybody stand. My wife and daughter are away, and I'm on my own, and things are not good when I'm on my own. <laughs> Dawn, if you read good and loud for us, please. Therefore, therefore I, a prisoner for serving the Lord beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling, for you have been called by God. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with with each other, making allowances for each other's faults because of your love. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the Spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. For there is one body and one Spirit, just as you have been called to one glorious hope for the future. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism— one God and Father of all, who is over all, in all, and living through all. Thank you, Dawn. You may be seated. So today's title is A Proper Perspective. We always say this every week, but it is true every week. This is very important stuff. The content of the message is very important for us. Paul told us last week, live lives worthy of your calling, worthy of who you are in Christ. Now this week he begins to depict and give us some details of what living a life worthy of our calling looks like, consists of. And it's actually a little surprising what he he begins with. We'll follow a similar format as we did last week. We're going to do an in-depth exegesis of the verse, examining the various words and phrases used by Paul. We'll begin this, verse 2. We'll give the gist of the verse in general, then we're going to break it down into specifics. Ephesians 4, 2. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love for one another. This is the starting place of living a life that's worthy of Christ. Well wait, that's not really where we thought it was going to start. Where's the supernatural signs, wonders and miracles. Isn't that what, what's going to reflect that we're in Christ? Well yes, actually it does. And yes, they will come in their time. signs, miraculous signs, wonders, miracles, that mighty move of God's Holy Spirit that just amazes us, will happen as it needs to happen. And it happens in the context of kingdom work. When we're involved in kingdom work, we will see all that's needed to advance the kingdom. But there's a starting place. I don't know if I should say before that because it's more like simultaneous, but there's a starting place that Paul felt was very important the Ephesians knew. They knew this starting place. We're living a life worthy of the calling. And it has everything to do with our attitude. It has everything to do with our character. Things that we don't think are quite as important anymore in our, our country, our nation, our society, our culture. Proper attitudes. Proper character. Proper conduct relating to one another. Walking a life worthy of our calling in Christ begins right here in the church, in our relationships with each other. After hearing about our lofty spiritual position in Christ, we're seated with him in the heavenly realms. That is true. After hearing about the tremendous power in us and available to us, that is true. After hearing about the incredible spiritual blessings, the promises that are ours in Christ, they are true. After hearing about the dominion, the authority in spiritual warfare, the authority we have over the enemy and overcoming the enemy's kingdom, that's all true. After hearing all that about ourselves, we need to be careful we don't start thinking too highly of ourselves. Not that those things are not true. They are. But, Paul says, we need to recognize that living a life worthy of this calling that we just laid out begins with always being humble and gentle, patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of our love for one another. They'll know you're my followers by your love. We often stop there. They'll know you're my followers by your love for one another. When the the world sees the church operating in this love for one another, with these attitudes and characters and character traits and conduct, the world is attracted to that. They see Christ in that. They don't see that in the world. Dog eat dog backbiting and devouring one another to get ahead. That's what you see in the world. You are not to see that in the church. You see something different in the church, a reflection of who Christ is. We need to maintain the proper perspective, and that's what I'm going to talk about today. We need to maintain the proper perspective of who we are, especially in how we relate to one another. Paul wants to make sure the Ephesian believers have this perspective proper perspective. God wants to make sure that we hear this today. There's a vital connection between calling and character. The starting place for living a life worthy of our calling has everything to do with our attitudes and our character, our actions and our conduct, especially towards one another. It begins in the church. It begins with relationships in the church. It begins here. This is of, a, of primary concern to God. God is much more concerned about your attitude, my attitude. When I say your, I'm including myself. It's just easier to say your. God is much more concerned about your attitude, your character, your conduct, conduct especially towards each other, your actions towards each other, than he is about whether you're performing signs, wonders, and miracles. Starts here. God cares very much about our attitude towards and how we relate to one another. The strength of a church, you know, is in its relationships. You knew that, right? You can have great worship. You can have great preaching. And we need that. But the strength of a church is in its relationships. So if you were Satan, what would you attack if you were attacking the church? just makes sense, doesn't it? Get people at each other. Get people being critical and complaining negative towards one another. That'll weaken the church quicker than anything will. We have to take our stand against that. When we're called to take a stand against evil, we often, thought of, we often think of evil out there, but we have to take a stand against evil that may try to raise its ugly head in here. And if somebody does slip, now we're very patient with one another. But if somebody does slip into that, complaining, being critical, backbiting, we help them to see, hey, that's not really the way we should be acting as a church. (laughs) Unfortunately, too many times we buy into it. Yeah, you know, now you say it, you're right. Next thing you know, you got this fire, this little fire, and it's starting to spread into a bigger fire. When you can put it out by just saying, hey, that's that's not, I really don't want to hear that about them. If you have a problem with them, go talk to them. Work it out. Well, there's a vital connection between calling and character. So Paul says, live a life worthy of your calling, and this is where it starts. Your attitude, your character, and your conduct towards one another in the church. Now he starts getting into specifics. And I thought of you, Steve. Wait, not this slide. Next slide. God cares very much how we relate to one another in the church. God cares very much how we operate in the body, the family, the church, and our relationships towards one another. Now the specifics. And last week, Steve, we were saying, this isn't going to take another 12 years. This, this. Well, this week we're only going to cover one word. Last week was one verse. This was one word. So I'm not sure how long we're going to be in Ephesians. But the word is humble. Always be humble. The first thing he mentions You want to live worthy of your calling. You want to truly reflect Christ. Be humble. Let's take a look at that word. It might not mean what you think it means. The word humble, the Greek word humble, that's translated humble, means to have a correct opinion of yourself, to think of oneself correctly. We often think of it in English as humble. Humility means meek. It means weak. It means timid. It means lowly, doormat-type mentality, Eeyore-type t- mentality. It makes you think of, if, some, if you say they're very humble or humility, it makes us think of somebody who's more or less wimpy and bullied, no backbone. That's far, far, far from the biblical concept of humble when we're told to be humble and when we're told to have Humility. Paul actually took a Greek word of his day, a contemporary Greek word, but he gave it a very distinctive Christian usage. And the Greek word means to have a correct opinion of yourself, to think of oneself correctly. In other words, a good, healthy, proper understanding of who we really are, our self-image, if you will. This may come off maybe as a psychology lesson on psychology today, but it's having a good proper understanding of who we really are, our self-image. It seems like Paul says it's very difficult to live a life worthy of your calling if you don't have a proper perspective or understanding of who you truly are. We need to first learn to think about ourselves correctly. And there's two traps to avoid in this. There's always two traps to avoid. There's always that fine balance in the middle road of the Christian life. And there's always two extremes to avoid. And here's the traps to avoid. Not to think of ourselves too highly of ourselves. Not to have a superior self-image. Not to see yourself superior to others because of what you've learned now about who you are. That's the one trap. The other trap is, and many of us struggle with this, not to think too lowly of ourselves. An inferior self image. You see yourself as inferior to others. Both of these are unhealthy self images, and they can hinder us in our Christian walk. And they can hinder us in our kingdom service. Sounds like Psychology 101, right? Superior self image, inferior self image, complex. As always, Scripture is going to show us the proper balance. Scripture is going to show us how to correctly think about ourselves so we can avoid those traps. We don't think too highly of ourselves. We don't think too lowly of ourselves. We're not Tigger, although you can like Tigger. We're not Eeyore, although you can like Eeyore. I like Eeyore. We're going to give a brief teaching on this word humble and humility, then we'll illustrate it through the life of Jesus. John 15, 5 says this. Apart from me, Jesus speaking, you can do nothing. That's true. Jesus said it. It's scripture. It's truth. It's the truth on the one side of the coin. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from Christ we can do nothing sin has completely wrecked the human race and we don't even know it the world definitely doesn't know it unfortunately we in the church don't quite realize how bad it really is since genesis 3 in our own strength and our human understanding our human effort we can do nothing with any kind of eternal value or earn favor with god isaiah said all your works of righteousness done out of your own strength are like filthy rags before God. Well, you say, well, that's not very encouraging. Well, you have to understand God's standard. God's standard is perfection. God's standard is holiness. Nothing we can do in the flesh can measure up to that. It's like filthy rags before the Lord. Apart from him, you can do nothing. Truth on the one one side of the coin. So on the one hand, we need to know this is true. This is a correct Estimation of who we are apart from Christ, apart from His saving grace, we're altogether unworthy. We can do nothing. But be careful not to equate unworthy with worthless, for we are not worthless. We are of great worth, but we are unworthy. We can't do anything in our own strength to please the Lord. You with me on that? Amen. If we're not careful, if, yeah. If we're not careful. Just this verse by itself could lead us to a horrible, unhealthy self-image, low self-image. I can't do anything. Ooh, I might as well be anymore. Might as well be e Makes us susceptible to the schemes of the enemy to keep us down, keep us downtrodden in our thinking of ourselves. We can't really accomplish anything. We can't really do anything. I am nothing. I am a worm. I am no man. Blah blah blah. We're susceptible to the schemes of the enemy to just keep. Pounding us down, condemnation, shame, guilt. We can never enjoy life and we can never accomplish anything for the Lord. Unfortunately, some of us in here, we've had to deal with that low self-image. And hopefully you're making great progress as the Lord enables us to come out of that. Next slide, the other side of the coin. Philippians 4.13. I can do everything. Through Christ, who gives me strength. Aren't they contradictory, Pastor? They're the two sides of the same coin. On the one hand, in our own strength, we can do nothing. On the other hand, as we've learned who we are in Christ, I can do everything or anything that he calls me to do. Through him, who strengthens me, through his grace. I can actually talk like that because I'm not being proud and arrogant. It's what God said about me. On the other hand, on the one hand, I can do nothing. On the other hand, I can do everything. What makes the difference? Jesus makes the difference. Apart from Christ, nothing. In Christ, everything. This is a proper way to think about ourselves. True humility embraces both of these truths. To be biblically humble is to walk the proper balance with a correct understanding of who I am in Christ. Don't think too highly of yourself. Apart from Christ, you can do nothing. Don't think, think too lowly of yourself. In Christ, you can do everything. Somehow in this passage, Paul is inferring that this is very important. If we want to live a life that's up to the calling. We need to have a correct understanding of who we are. We need to have a proper perspective on this. As I said, otherwise we'll be tossed to and fro by the enemy's schemes against us, cause us to fall into the trap of pride, or cause us to fall into a low, low inferiority complex. And both are unhealthy, and both hinder us and hurt us. We're not to get puffed up by success. We're not to wipe out by setbacks. We maintain a proper perspective and even keel. I can't take actually all the credit. I can't take the credit for my successes, but I'm not going to take the condemnation for my setbacks either. Neither one of them are going to knock me off course. You got that? not going to be tossed about by circumstances or browbeat myself or say wow you did such a great job i'm going to avoid all that as i understand who i truly am in christ without him i can't do anything with him i can do everything that he asked me to do we'll be solid we'll be unshakable not too high not too low even keeled steady as she goes and that's what we need too many of us get way up here. Well what do they call that? Bi- bipolar or back in the day it was manic depressant, I think. When you're way up here and then you're way down there, this keeps us from that trap. Those traps. We can look to Jesus, for our example. Now put your thinking caps on to, to try and see this in these verses. John 5:19, Jesus explained, "I tell you the truth. The Son can do nothing by himself. Did you know that? Jesus? The Son can do nothing by himself. He does only what he sees the Father doing, or what he's empowered, and enabled by his Father to do. Whatever the Father does, then the Son also does it. John 5:30, I can do nothing on my own. Jesus speaking. Did you ever see that in there? I can do nothing on my own. But I judge as God tells me. Therefore, my judgment is just because I carry out the will of the one who sent me, not my own will. John 8, 28. Jesus said, when you have lifted up the Son of Man on the cross, then you will understand that I am he. I do nothing on my own, but only what the Father taught me or teaches me. Jesus completely understood who he was. I am he, God himself, the great I am, capable of all things. Yet as a man, I can do nothing apart from my Father enabling me. One more verse on the example of Jesus, then a conclusion and an application. John 13, 10 through 15. After washing their feet, Jesus asked, Do you understand what I was doing? You call me teacher and Lord. Lord is the word there for God. You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, because that's what I am. That is who I am. And since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. I have given you an example to follow. Do as I have done to you. Just some explanation. Jesus walked in the proper balance of biblical humility. Remember, he was truly and fully God, but he also was truly and fully man. And one of the reasons he did things the way he did was to show us that once we come to know him and we come under the power of the Holy Spirit, we can live as he lived. We can do the things that he did. Because what he did in his earthly ministry, he did not do as God. He did as a man under the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's who you are. And that's who I am. You're a man who has saved. The fullness of the Godhead dwells in us. Jesus is our example. You call me teacher and Lord. I am. But look at what I've done. I've washed your feet. I've I've, not lowered myself you don't lower yourself when you serve other people that's not the right word but i have served you despite who i am he didn't think too highly of himself he is god he didn't think too lowly of himself he didn't think too lowly of himself that he couldn't ad- he didn't think too lowly of himself that he couldn't admit or accept the title of teacher and lord That is who I am, and I'm actually very much more than that. In John 10, 1030, Jesus said, I and the Father are one. Jesus knew he was God himself in the flesh, and he was not afraid to say it. Yep, that's who I am. Very objective, that's who I am. Not puffed up and proud, yes. You call me teacher and Lord, that's who I am. But he didn't think too highly of himself that he couldn't serve his disciples and wash their feet as an example of how they were to think and how they were to treat others. Here's the conclusion. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Without Him, I can do nothing. That's true. With Him, in Him, I can do everything. That's true too. This doesn't bring me down, and this doesn't lift me up. It's just true. Get it? You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he took the humble position. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God. Jesus, our Savior, had a correct understanding, a proper perspective of who he was. He wasn't puffed up, proud and arrogant, uncaring, self-centered by being God. And he wasn't diminished or reduced by being a servant, by serving others. His correct understanding of, his proper perspective of who he was allowed him to be unshakable, unmovable in his calling. He didn't get moved when people praised him. He didn't get moved when people criticized him. He didn't need to. He knew who he was. What's that A deodorant or something? The advertisement now is, are you comfortable in your own skin? Jesus was comfortable in his own skin. You couldn't lift him up, make make him fall into pride. You couldn't bring him down and make him fall into sin or whatever. He had the proper perspective. And he's saying, you need to have the same attitude now. You need to understand who you are in Christ. So people can't puff you up with flattery and praise, and people can't bring you down with criticism and being negative. It's not easy. You know, we're in the flesh. When I preach a sermon and and I'm leaving church and nine people say, wow, that sermon, that really touched me today. And one person says, man, you were really off your game today, Pastor. I didn't get anything out of that. What do you think runs through my mind the rest of the day? The nine compliments or the one, you were off your game. Oh, my gosh. It's hard to, to maintain that balance. The nine could make you feel like, wow, great sermon today. And then the one's like, oh, man, what am I even doing here? You know what I'm talking about, don't you? No, we got to stop that. We got to be comfortable in our own skin. This is who I am in Christ. And when we come into that place in our thinking, we begin to live worthy of our calling. Makes sense, doesn't it? Makes sense why it starts here. And not with the signs and miracles and the great and mighty works. Though they have their place. Live a life worthy of the calling of the Father. Here's the bottom line. Be humble, church. Have a proper perspective. Allow God to work on our self-image. That we have a proper perspective of who we truly are in Christ. That's going to greatly enable us to live a life worthy of our calling. The application. What are we going to do? With what we heard today. That's always a good general application when you really don't know what to do for the application. What are we going to do with what we heard today? Are there any adjustments that we need to make in how we think about ourselves off of what we heard today? This is a great statement. I can say that because it's not mine. I've heard it somewhere, but this is a great statement. True humility can receive a compliment or a complaint and not be moved. True humility can receive a commendation or a criticism and remain steady as she goes and not be unduly moved. Apart from Christ, we're nothing. In Christ, we're everything. Holy Spirit, give us ears to hear what you are saying to the church today. Art. Will you come and pray, and Sonny, you'll bring up the band as we always do. Stand, and when when, uh, things settle down from standing and coming up, you go ahead and pray. Thank you.
1: i just truly want to thank uh, god how he sent that word through pastor today because i know it encouraged all of our hearts you know before when i got to church when i first came i just want to share that with you i know our worship leader brother sonny and i we were talking about some things and we were saying about you know words are powerful when they come out of your mouth they can either build you up or they can either tear you down and it's so very important to watch, watch what we say out of our mouths, you know, and, and sometimes it can tear your character down, or as Pastor said, say, you know, it, it can build you up. So I just want to thank God, Pastor, for, for how God used you to share that word with us to help us to, to, to grow, grow stronger. And we do need each other. That's, man, that, we need each other. You know, God put us together because he knew that we needed each other. That way we'd be able to help someone else you know, because he doesn't want to see anyone be lost. So with all that said, I'm just going to pray now. Father, I just want to thank you deeply from the bottom of our hearts. We want to thank you for blessing us with a pastor who does not compromise the word of God, but who speaks the truth through your word. Because apart from you, none of us can do anything. And that's a reality in our lives. Lord, we thank you for this body of believers today, Lord. And that word humbleness, man, just got a such a great picture of what that looks like now. To 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 be able to take a compliment or to be able to take uh, words that are not sweet to our souls. Thank you so much for opening up our eyes to that, Father, because we want to be more like Jesus. Because like you said in your word, apart from you, we cannot do nothing. We thank you for the Holy Spirit who fills our hearts and our spirits in each and every day, Father. Father, help us as a body of believers to grasp this word and to clench it in our hearts and hold on to it and never let it go. Because this is the thing that's gonna change the world. And Father, we just wanna thank you for that today, Lord. We thank you for the wisdom and the knowledge And most of all, the understanding you're going to give each one of us as we go out through this week. Father, we were so excited, you know, just hearing this word today. I just couldn't sit still. You know, it was like you love us so much. And, Lord, if we could only just compromise that, I mean, just only just take that thing in and just hold on to it and never let it go. Man, the world will change for your glory and for your honor. So, Father, thank you for this word. Lord, that sweet words would flow out of our mouths, that when there is something said wrong, that we would just cut it off right at the head and go to the person if we have a problem in the spirit of love, in the spirit of humility, in the spirit by the Holy Spirit to make it right. Because we do need each other, Father. You're making that more apparent as we hear it each and every week. So we just want to thank you, Lord. We just pray that the Holy Spirit would just fill our lives to Our cups just overflow and just can't hold it all. That we're excited about you because it is exciting to serve you, Lord. It is exciting because, like your word says, that you will never, never, ever leave us nor forsake us. So we thank you for that. And as we worship you, Lord, and give our all to you, let that continually circulate through our spirit, through our minds, and through our hearts. That when we walk out, these doors that we will never 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 ever be the same again Lord so thank you for your word today we ask this in Jesus name amen amen
0: Amen.